or as Adam mentioned this summer, we had the opportunity to see two different groups go uh, to do different locations in regards to missions this summer. We had a student ministry group led by our student pastor, Eric Summers, who went to New Orleans. Uh, we had a lot of students that made that trip, and uh, they headed out uh, by bus, spent just about a week there or so impacting lives. And then also this summer, we took our church's 22nd mission trip to the Philippines. We've been going back to the same area since 2005, mostly twice a year for most of those years. And uh, we work with a church there called Malupa Baptist Church. And um, th- those teams typically come to the same place. They stay in the same place, but they visit different locations because God is growing that work there. And, uh, and so they just sort of kind of hit the ground running and spread out, and God uses them each and every time. And so for the next few moments, I want you to hear two testimonies of those that have been a part of these particular trips. The first testimony you hear from is from one of our student ministry leaders that went to New Orleans, Pam Cheek. And then after Pam shares, uh, you're going to hear from one who was on the Philippines team, uh, Diane Canolis. And so, Pam, you're up first. Where is Pam? Why don't you come? Let's give Pam a good, warm welcome as she comes to share this morning. Good morning, and as Brooke said, I'm Pam Cheek, and this past summer I took my second trip to New Orleans with, to Mission Lab with the youth group. Um, I felt very, very privileged uh, to have gone. I got to know a lot of the kids better. Ordinarily, I volunteer in preschool because I have two teenagers of my own, so that's about all I can stand at any given moment. Um, So usually I'm in preschool, so it really gave me the opportunity to get to know a lot of your kids. a lot better. Um, we got to go to Cafe Du Monde, not once, but twice while we were there, and have coffee and beignets. And also this summer while we were there, I got to eat the best oysters I've ever had in my life. <laughs> um, what was amazing to me about this trip is how motivated the kids are, how selflessly they give and behave while we're there. Um, we got to go on several different outreaches. Um, we did a street outreach at Jackson Square, and they did balloon animals and face painting and um, tattoos. And then we went to a um, boys' home one afternoon, and the youth band sang, and then the other kids, we broke out into two groups. And I'm very nervous, y'all. I'm sorry. Um, the kids went outside and played with another group of boys while the um, praise team was inside singing. And we gave water... Um, at a community park. Um, But I think the most favorite time of this trip was when we went to Georgetown Apartments and did kind of like a VBS. um, And we did that last year. So this was the second year that we had gotten to go there, and we saw a lot of the same kids. Um, You would be surprised how much the kids gave while we were there. Um, This is where our kids really shined. Maggie Presley became quite the fashion designer, making costumes out of duct tape as superheroes. Adrian Presley blew bubbles continually. Um, Delaney Bragg colored. Um, Robert Upton and Nathan Wetmore pushed so many kids on swings till I thought their arms were going to fall off. Um, Kaylin Summers and Emma Gamble and a lot of the other girls did crafts with them. And let me tell you, those girls could make anything out of duct tape. They could make you a whole outfit. Um, I'm going to share a little story about something that happened at the, towards the end of the week. 
um, like I said, we got to see a lot of the same kids that we had seen the summer before. So the kids really bonded with those kids and formed relationships with them. Well, towards the end of the week, my daughter, um, I noticed that she was crying. And so I was looking and I thought, I'm not going to be one of those moms. So I didn't, you know, at first I was kind of letting it go and she was kind of crying and holding her head down. And I saw all the other girls giving her hugs. And I thought, so I'm mouthing at her, what's the matter, what's the matter? And she's like shaking her head. So I finally, I just couldn't let it go anymore. So I went over there and I said, what is up? And she said, um, it's all good, Mom. It's all good. These are happy tears. I'm kind of upset a little bit, but we'll talk about it later. Just leave me alone. <laughs> okay. So finally at lunch, I got her, and I said, all right, what is up? Why were you crying? And she said, well, Mom, this little boy, and I don't remember his name, but it's one that she had formed a relationship throughout the week. And he said, she said, Mom, he asked me, what do I do to get to heaven? And she said, I know how to get to heaven. I gave my heart to Jesus a long time ago, but I didn't know how to explain to somebody else how to get there. So a couple of gir the girls and my daughter went and got Jason Gamble, and they prayed with that little boy, and that little boy asked Jesus into his heart. Now, that's just a personal story because it was my child, but I am sure that that is not the only child that was led to Christ by what our kids did and how our kids shined and showed God's love. I mean, the kids never complained. They never complained about how hot it was or how not really good the food was or not having TV or their cell phones. They just poured into those kids um, selflessly. Um, anyway, in closing, I just, I would like to thank the parents for sending your kids, and I feel very privileged to have gotten to know them better, and I look forward um, to serving alongside of them again, maybe next year. Thank you. Take just a second. Have to get the props, you know. This is my husband, by the way. Thank you, honey. <laughs> just give him a round of applause. Okay, guys. If you've been to the Philippines before, then you're looking at someone who's been to the Philippines recently, head to toe. This is the chair of choice in the Philippines. I know it doesn't look like much. It looks like a white plastic moldy chair. But this is truly their chair of choice and what they use daily for their worship service, for their uh, times of eating. It's just amazing that this is a very important part of their life. So survival essentials for the Philippines trip of summer 2016. A nice pair of shorts, a really cool shirt, not cool as what you think cool. Cool as in, I'm dying of heat. <laughs> Hair bow, strappy sandals, very important, because you will be going up and down, in and over. I've never, been, I've never hiked like that in my life. You will need a very sturdy backpack. As you can tell, this says Chicago, because mine broke before we even left the States. How great was I prepared? 
You also will need a very lovely refillable water bottle because you will sweat to death. I took my journal because I thought that was extremely important. I took my Bible because I knew that was important. And the most interesting thing, I think, is that this is the Tagalog Bibles that our church was so grateful and just gracious to raise the money for so that we could hand out. These are so absolutely appreciated over there. I cannot tell you how much. And as crazy as this sounds, and I have to do it, if you've been to the Philippines, you know that a deck of cards is one of the most important things ever. I'll explain that in a minute. When the call came to go to the Philippines on a mission trip, I knew God was calling me, but I honestly didn't feel as though I had anything to offer. But God showed me in so many significant and insignificant ways that he truly wanted me to go through prayer, through things people said to me, to my devotionals, even text messages, and some very, very strong prayer partners that I have. Everything pointed me in the direction God had planned for me. So even though I waited until the last minutes to turn in my application, off I went with my husband Patrick, my daughter Elizabeth, and two very good new friends, Margie and Sarah. Now, if you will listen to these words as I describe my experience in the Philippines, hopefully you will feel as though you have traveled there with me. To begin with, it was a very long, long, long trip. Mm. Three plane rides, lots of hiccups, Uh, six-hour-plus tour, a little van ride, multiple time zones. You get the picture? It was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. I was anxious. I was exhausted, and it was just plain challenging. When we finally arrived at the Marora Aravitz province, we were greeted with people who were beyond welcoming. They were warm-hearted, gracious, unique, genuine, lovely, amazing, hospitable, but more important, people who loved Christ. Oh, and as I stand here and remember, my reading glasses would be a little bit more helpful. After introductions, we were presented with a wonderful breakfast consisting of fried bananas, eggs, bacon, multiple types of fruit, pandasol, and thanks to Margie McNair, peanut butter. We enjoyed eating two more delicious meals that day, thanks to Nagal and Azul, and truly began to fall in love with our faraway family. After a restless night, we began the next day with a huge breakfast. Then we loaded up and headed out to the different barangays to share the word of God and to deliver the Tagalog Bibles. These words describe how I felt as I began this daily journey, and this was each day, sweltering hot, as in a borrowed bandana from my best friend Margie McNair. And boy, were we hot. Ooh, mm. Utterly helpless, overwhelmed, emotional, inadequate, hopeless. And did I say sweltering hot? Phew! On my first opportunity to present a Tagalog Bible, I seriously, y'all, met a young mother of nine whose husband was heading to jail. This was extremely difficult for me. As I struggled for words of comfort and hope for the future, I prayed with her, and I handed her this new Tagalog Bible, and I remember thinking, Lord, where is my faith? 
I know God provides, and the food for thought in his word reaches far above the physical needs of this life. But for this young mother living in extreme poverty, as most of the people we encountered were, facing life without a breadwinner, I thought, Lord, it's really hard to eat a Bible. As the first day ended and I gazed at the delicious dinner prepared for us, my thoughts of that young mother filled my head and I could not bring myself to eat. I excused myself to go pray and I went directly to bed, hoping and praying that God would help me handle tomorrow. But as the days progressed, a remarkable transformation took place in my heart as I met these courageous, faithful, kind, thankful, happy, devoted, joyful, fearless followers of Christ who became extreme blessings to me. In addition to Barry and Lilia, the pastors, the Bible students, and the Kinsey missionary family, they all became our lifelines. They were passionate, committed, wise, willing, compassionate, admirable, flexible, resilient, big-hearted. But most importantly, they were alive in Christ. And speaking of alive in Christ, the Bible students will always hold a special place in my heart. They are the epitome of commitment and conviction in Christ. After graduation, they travel to dangerous countries to work in the mission field. They have very little financial support, and they literally put their lives on the line. They actually fill out their last will and testament before leaving for their assignment. Extraordinary. One word, extraordinary. I am so amazed by the dedication of these students and their genuine desire to live for Christ and bring others to Christ. These young students are our future. Please add them to your prayer list. Now, on a lighter note, how many people can say that they have experienced drinking Coca-Cola out of a plastic bag with a straw, ridden in a jeepney, or have seen people baptized in a tilapia pool? I have. Oh, And if you want to spend a really frantic, enjoyable, crazy evening with family and friends, then head to the Philippines to find out about NERTS, hence the cards. I'd like to thank you for this opportunity to share a bit of my mission trip with you. I just hope that these descriptive words and props were able to give you a feel for the life in the Philippines. A huge thank you to the previous mission teams. You are the ones who paved the way for our group to present the Tagalog Bibles to our brothers and sisters in Christ. They were so appreciative. I am, we are, truly blessed to belong to this church. We have an amazing church staff, an amazing congregation. And if you ask me again, would I go? Yes, absolutely. In a heartbeat, even though I was sweltering hot. Thank you. Awesome, great testimonies. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thanks to Pam and to Diane for sharing your heart on what your experiences were like this summer. And, uh, you know, there are more, like she said, there are going to be more opportunities to be engaged in missions. And uh, God continues to open doors, not just to those two areas, but also sending our first team to Cuba this past year. Next year, we'll have an opportunity to send two teams to Cuba, as well as two to, Phil- to the Philippines. And uh, God is just doing, doing great things, opening uh, huge doors for us to share the message of the gospel. Second Corinthians 
chapter 5 is where we're going to be briefly this morning. When I was a kid, there was a game show that I had dreams of being on when I was a kid. It wasn't Price is Right. I couldn't stand Price is Right. When I was a kid, the Price is Right was on every single day in our house before I started school. And, uh, and so by the time I was about six years old in first grade, I was ready for the Price is Right just to go away. But there was one show that I loved, and it was a show called The Family Feud, right? And so I had dreams as a kid that our family would be on The Family Feud, and I would be the one at the very end of the table, and I would be the one that rescued our family and sent us off to an exotic trip. Tell why, because I had just the right answer. I have no idea really why I loved the family feud, because my family didn't really feud a whole lot, right? It's not like we fought all the time. We didn't have a whole bunch of arguments. My, my dad was not argumentative. Uh, he, he rarely like, had a crossword for anybody, but I just had this desire to be on the family feud. That was what I desired. You know, in a sense, we can all relate to that in a, in a way, because we've all been through times in our family where the dynamics just kind of got a little bit interesting, a little bit, a little bit dynamic. I see to some degree. Uh, for my mom and dad, for example, I can remember, as I mentioned, they didn't argue, or my dad, my mom could argue, but my dad didn't argue very much at all. But I remember they would, one time when I was a kid, they had this one crazy argument, one, one crazy, I guess it was an elevated, heated discussion maybe, over the pronunciation of a word in the English language. Uh, and let me just say this before I go, go into the detail. For you as kids, do you, do you remember when you were a kid and you, you kind of realized that your parents were the weirdest people in the world? Um, this was kind of like one of those moments for me. So my mom and dad are having this argument over a word in the English language, and I'll spell the word for you. It's spelled A-T-H-L-E-T-E. Okay, have you got that in your head? All right. They're, they're athletics, and then they're the individuals that participate in athletics, which are the people that are spelled A-T-H-L-E-T-E, all right? Now, how many of you would pronounce that word with two syllables? Athlete. Let me see your hands, okay? Good. You can put those hands down. How many of you would pronounce that word with three syllables, like I think my dad did? Athlete. How many of you would say it that way? All right, those are athletes. Those are great athletes. And for some reason, hopefully this is not the most spiritual part of the message this morning that you're going to hear. But for some reason, I remember as a kid, them having this long, elevated discussion. You know, it's just, it's just this ongoing, running commentary. And anytime that word came up, it would sort of like reignite the whole thing again. Right. So we're con- we're familiar with disagreements. We're familiar with little disagreements. Sometimes we get a little spat with somebody that's close to us, a family member, a husband or a wife, or, or a child or a friend. But then there are those times in our lives where the the disagreements grow wider and they run deeper to the point to where we can describe those times as being almost in the midst of strife, like at enmity with someone else. And it's especially difficult whenever that, that someone that we're in such a sharp disagreement with is someone that we were once close to. Maybe it's a father or a mother. Maybe it's a child or a grandchild. Maybe it's a close friend. And I would be willing to say in this service this morning, in, in, a, in a group this size, that there are very possibly people that are here this morning, and you're in the midst of, of, of just a broken relationship with someone. You're in the midst of such a sharp disagreement where it can only be described with the words strife and brokenness and separation. And it hurts. It's a very difficult time for you because maybe that person was someone that you were extremely close to before as a family member or as a friend. Maybe it was someone that you once had such great history with, and yet today you're at a place where you are totally on opposite ends of the spectrum in your relationship, and everything just seems to be broken apart. You know, when you come to a place like that, there are only really two remedies. One is to let the brokenness continue. One is to, to, to allow that brokenness just to fester and to get worse and let the divide grow wider and the hurt grow deeper. Or the second remedy is something called 
reconciliation. And when we read through the scriptures, when we read through the Bible, what we find is that word reconciliation comes up an awful lot, especially in the New Testament. And what I want us to do this morning for just a few minutes is to take a look at what scripture says about this topic of reconciliation. We're going to walk through a specific passage of scripture in a moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But the desire for us is to see not only how God wants us to experience reconciliation with him, but also how God wants us to be able to share that message, just as these mission teams did this summer, to share that same message with those who need to experience reconciliation in their own lives. So if you ever look up the word reconciliation, there are a couple of different applications. One application is kind of in a financial sense. Any of you that are financial folks, you know, you work in the, in the realm of finance, you're familiar with that particular term. Let me just read that quick definition. That definition of reconciliation is the action of making financial accounts consistent or to be in harmony. And you've maybe even used that, that term before when you've said, you know what, I need to sit down and I need to what? I need to reconcile my bank statements. I need to reconcile my books. I need to, I need to make all all this fit. I need to be it. Need for it to be in unity. I need to make sure that all the figures line up. I need to make sure that they are reconciled. That's one we're familiar with. But the probably the more common understanding of reconciliation is one that we're we're very familiar with. And that definition is this: it's the restoration of friendly relations. And when we talk about reconciliation, what we have to understand is that wrapped up in the understanding of reconciliation is that there was once a time in that relationship where relations were good, where relations were friendly. And somewhere along the way, those relations were broken apart. They fell apart. There was a separation that came. There was brokenness that came. And what reconciliation means is, is that you take that which was broken and you reconcile it. You put it back together so that what once was a friendly relation that then became a strained, broken relation is now put back together again. Whenever we look in Scripture, we find here in the pages of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 a beautiful picture of what reconciliation looks like, especially in our, the, the spiritual part of our lives. Because what we, what we see in the Bible is a picture Special, especially in the New Testament, we see picture that there is a need for reconciliation first and foremost between us and God. There is a brokenness between us and God. When he created us, he created us to know him. He created us to enjoy him. He created us to lavish in the blessings that he gives us, understanding that it's not because of us. They're all because of him. And God created us to experience that kind of a relationship. And yet it was because of our sin that that relationship became broken. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, it, it helps us to understand the magnitude of our broken relationship with God. Look at what it says on the overhead. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. What Paul is saying here as he writes this letter to the Ephesian church, he's saying that every one of us on this earth have been in a place in our lives where we were at enmity with God, where we were separated in relationship with him. Though he created us, though he loves us, all of us have experienced being in a broken state before God. And the picture that Paul paints there is a picture that it's only because of us. God did not create the distance. God did not create the enmity. God did not break the relationship. It was by our own decision to, 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 to live life by our own, uh, our own agenda, to live life out of our own strength for ourselves, putting God at the distance. 
pushing God to the curb. The Bible says that when we make that decision, Romans chapter 5 literally says that it sets us up as enemies of God. You know, when, the, when these mission teams went out this summer to New Orleans and to, to uh, the Philippines, they went to share a message of how broken people who are enemies of God because of sin can have that relationship restored and reconciled. And the reason that we as a church and every local church, I believe, should be in this business of sending out teams to share the message of the gospel is because the eternities of people far and wide depend on understanding this message of reconciliation, that even though we may be good people, and even though we may make choices that seek to put others before ourselves, and even though we try to love our families and love others, at the very core of who we are, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, because of our own sin, and because we put ourselves in the place of God, that sets us up as an enemy of God until that, that reconciliation ultimately comes. Here's why doing good doesn't fix our relationship with God. Here's why when people mistakenly believe, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to heaven because I do good stuff. I'm going to go to heaven because I help other people. I'm going to go to heaven because I go to church. Here's why none of that helps. Because at our core, fundamentally, internally, there is an issue there. And that issue is that we are at, at, at enmity with God. We are enemies of God. And until there is a change in our nature that comes, that, that, that uh, enmity is always going to be in existence. We have to experience reconciliation. And this is the beauty of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And what I want us to do is for the next few minutes just jump into this to this uh, amazing passage of Scripture and hear how the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary that walked this earth, hear how he explains this ministry of reconciliation to people that once were broken and yet had found themselves made right through a relationship with Jesus. So pick up with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, you can read it on the overhead. Let's begin in verse 14. And so Paul writes and he says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. That's a reference to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. See, that that was the issue all along. We're separated from God because of our sin, living life for ourselves. He says that when Christ died for us, he did that so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so Paul is laying out here the picture of our issue, that our issue is not that God broke relationship with us. The issue is that we broke relationship with him. And all over this place this morning, in every single seat that is occupied, regardless of whether the primary thing in our lives is to do good, regardless of whether our minds are are somewhere in our career, careers or whether we're thinking about you know what's coming on later today or what we're going to eat for lunch the most pressing issue is that we move from a state of being enemies with God to being in the family of God that is the absolute most pressing issue pressing issue for every single one of us and Paul is reminding them here that there had to be a sacrifice that was made and Jesus made that sacrifice willingly Uh, look at what it says the next verse verse 16 He says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. That phrase is so important. He says, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. And the, the, the problem for us is that in our core, at the very heart of who we are, 
We are at enmity with God. We are in strife against God. We are enemies of God because of our sin. But here's what Jesus does. He comes and he pays for us our sin. He rises again from the dead so that when we, as an act of our will, make the decision to turn from our sin and yield our lives to Jesus, he takes care of the issue on the inside, giving us a brand new nature. To such an extent that Paul says it can only be qualified and described as being a a brand new creature in Christ. When you gave your life to Jesus, for those of you that have made this decision, when you prayed, whether it was as an eight-year-old or whether as an 80-year-old or somewhere in between, when you prayed and you understood you needed forgiveness and you asked Christ to come and forgive you and take over your life, what you experienced at that point was the exchange of your old life for a new life. And your Christian life is not a patched up life. It is not like a second rate life. It is not one that has just been kind of cleansed around the edges to some degree. It is not a repaired life. It is an absolute replaced life. God has given you a brand new life through a relationship with Jesus. And the very issue that put you at enmity against God in a place of strife and conflict as an enemy of God because of sin, Jesus totally repaired that the day you gave your life to him. And he moved you from a place of lostness to being found. He moved you from a place of death to a place of life spiritually. He moved you from a place of being an enemy of God to being a part of the very family of God. You know, we like to think that it ends there. I don't know what some of you may be thinking. You know, Brooks, I, you know, I, I gave my life to Christ a long time ago. Um, you know, I just, thanks for sharing, but I didn't really need this. I've already, I've already heard all this. And I've already responded. I've already given my life to Jesus. And a lot of times we mistakenly think, well, if we pray that prayer, you know, we give our lives to Christ, well, then we're off the hook now. Just kind of make the best of it till we get to heaven and everything's going to be okay then. But that's not the case. There's another verse in the passage we're looking at. Look at what it says in verse 18. Paul says to these uh, believers in Corinth, he says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and, and that word and is extremely important. If you don't mind writing your Bibles, you may want to circle that or underline it or highlight it. And, you know, the story's not over here. And he gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Now, if we're not careful, we'll read that verse a little differently. We'll say all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave the preachers the ministry of reconciliation because that's what they do, right? They're the professionals, (laughs) Or he gave the missionaries the ministry of reconciliation. Or he gave people who work in a church the ministry of reconciliation. Or we'll mistakenly think, oh, he gave all the the ordained people the ministry of reconciliation. But it doesn't say that. What it says is, and Paul is writing, if you read chapter 1, verse 1, what you'll find in this book is that he is writing to the church at Corinth. He's not writing to the ordained people or the people who worked in a church office or to the people who had some you know, spiritual title behind their names. He's writing to the entire church in the city of Corinth. And when he's writing to the entire church, he says in this passage, chapter 5, verse 18, he says that God has given us, all of us, Regardless of where you work or what you've done or where you've been, if you've given your life to Christ, you have been given what? A ministry of reconciliation, meaning that you now have the privilege, whether you ever go to the Philippines or not, or to Cuba or not, or to New Orleans or not, you have now the privilege by virtue of your relationship with God, the privilege and the responsibility of being a minister of reconciliation. And what does that look like? Verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses or their sins against them. Isn't that an amazing thought? You know, if you've got a view of God today, if you're just kind of brand new to some of the church stuff or just brand new starting reading your Bible or just now beginning to think about who God is and maybe who he should be in your life, you may have this picture, you know, that, that God is up there. He's got like got all the beans, you know, in a jar and he's keeping count. He's like moving a bean against you and another bean against you. He's sliding your little slide against you. He's, he's keeping count. You know, God's desire is not, he doesn't operate that way. His desire is not just to keep count of everything you've done wrong. No, what he wants to do is he wants to set you free and to forgive you of all those sins that you and all of us have committed. That his desire is not to count their trespasses against them, but rather he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Paul goes a little further in verse 20. And he says, therefore, we are, what, ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know what an ambassador is, right? If you ever travel out of this country, then probably what you do, hopefully, wisely, is to, to locate somehow and to, to pinpoint where the U.S. Embassy is in that particular country. You're familiar with the term ambassador. We hear about it on the news, but at the very core, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who lives in one country, and yet he is representative of another country. He lives in one kingdom, or she lives in one particular kingdom, let's say, but they are representative of another kingdom in another location. And what Paul is saying here to the Christian, to the believer, he says that because you have been made right with God vertically— Right? You have a relationship with Christ. You are vertically now in a relationship with God. He said there is also, however, a horizontal component to your walk now. And that horizontal component is, is that now, because you have a Savior in charge of your life named Jesus, you live in this world that is not your home, a world that does not honor him for who he is. And it is now your call and your function and your responsibility and your privilege to live out your faith in this world that is not your home as you represent the other kingdom, which represents who you are. That is the kingdom of God. And when you go to work tomorrow, and when you go to campus tomorrow, and when you go to buy groceries tomorrow, and when you go to the health club tomorrow, and all the places that we go, we will go as a representative of another kingdom, of one named Christ, who came and died in our place. Because our goodness wouldn't be good enough. He did it so that we could ultimately have a relationship with God, that when he created us, he loved us. But somewhere along the way, by our own sin, that relationship was broken. Jesus did it all so that he could, what, reconcile us, restore us, so that we might worship him and enjoy him forever. You know, one day when your eyes close in death, you will stand before God. Scripture says that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We'll stand before God, and you'll stand before God as one of two people. Either he will stand before you as your judge because your sins went unpaid, or he'll stand before, you'll stand before him as your Savior, the one who paid it in your place and who applied it to your life. The moment you said, Lord Jesus, would you save even me, a sinner? And I don't know where you stand with God this morning, but what I do know is that this summer we sent teams to another state and halfway around the world to share the simple message that I've shared with you today. That God, through Christ, is reconciling this world, even you. 
to himself. And if you've never made the one most important decision that will last forever, right now today where you sit, as an act of your will, you can choose to say, Lord Jesus, would you even come forgive and cleanse and take over this life, both today and forever. And if you've done it, then welcome to the mission field. For when you leave this place today, you'll have the privilege of making his name great as you share in the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray.